Hello and welcome back to the Real Time Podcast. You join us on episode 13, would you believe, of our weekly podcast. I'm joined this week by Harley. Um, say hello, Harley. Oh, you're right. Hi, <laughs> Harley's doing fine. Joined also by Margaret, one of the Real Time volunteers. Say hi, Margaret. Hello. Um, joined by Phoenix for the Wednesday night, uh, the, sorry, the Friday night young sound. Aloha. <laughs> and uh, we've a brand newcomer to the Real Time Online podcast this week um, from Sunny Shots, Caitlin Paxton. Say hello, Caitlin. Hi. <laughs> cool. It's really so, sunny there. Um, it's always not. sunny in shots. Um, <laughs> good, two shots people in the podcast this week, which is uh, a first for us. Oh, no. Slowly, yes. Um, cool. So, as usual with the Real Time podcast, guys, we're just going to have a wee flick back to last week, which was on pop music. I'm sure those of you who have heard it have heard it was a fairly opinionated podcast. Um, there's actually been a companion piece written by our, <laughs> our good friend Tia Collins, which is now okay. on the Real Time blog on the website. If you click on Ooh. Young People blog, you'll be able to find that, as well as some brilliant album rankings by our good friend Aidan McKenna. So that's good stuff. Um, and Phoenix has even got a couple of articles up there as well, uh, giving you some really good Netflix suggestions for your lockdown nice. viewing pleasure. Uh, so that being said, we hope that the pop music podcast was well received and that he's got some good stuff out of it. And we hope we didn't put you off listening to pop music because there's some good <laughs> stuff out there. Um, <laughs> despite the absolute tanking that it got in that podcast. <laughs> now, before we kick off, Harley... You have been doing some news hounding for us, so why don't you let us know what you found? So, um, a few days ago, Donald Trump held a press rally. Um, during this press rally, he used a song by Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. Uh, Tom Petty hadn't gave Donald Trump any permission to use the song. The song was about an underdog. A uh, and we, he didn't feel that that song fit, fit in with Trump's values. Mm. Uh, the song had also been used 20 years ago in a campaign of George W. Bush's, who had also been set a cease and desist for the same song. Um, Donald Trump's also done it with several other artists, such as The Rolling Stones, Queen, and The Twisted Sisters. Right. What song was that, Harley? Uh, something like We're Gonna Go Back or something. I can't even remember the name. Is that song. I Went Back Down? Is that what it was? That's the one. Yeah, um, could be Trump's theme tune, really, couldn't it? I won't back down. <laughs> uh, okay, so quick, let's get some reaction on that, guys. What do we think? Trump using music without uh, licensing it and, and doing the proper uh, copyright stuff, what do we think? Take responsibility. He's the president of the US. Take responsibility, Trump. Aye. Fair enough. Um, is anybody surprised? <laughs> No, no. no. <laughs> it's the kind of thing where it's like I didn't expect this exact thing to happen, but since like when I heard it, I was like, oh yeah. yeah. He's also ignored several other decent cease and desists, um, yeah. such as the one that Rolling Stones did. Uh, they used "Can't Get No" or something, I think. Okay, can't um, get no satisfaction. Yeah. Yeah, and he used that song. Rolling Stones said that they didn't want him using it anymore, and he used it in three more press rallies. Yeah. After the season, this was fun. I'm trying to think. Was it Trump that got that got done for using Foo Fighters music? It was definitely a, a Republican Party candidate. I just can't remember who it was for using Best of You. I think. Oh, um, really? Maybe. 
But I can't, yeah, I can't remember. But, um, I'm just going to put this out there. It's 2020. Nothing surprises yeah. me anymore. Well, yeah, I think to just to bring this wee new segment to a close, I think what stands out for me is that you know Trump's essentially committed a crime. He's committed a copyright crime there, mm. and then he used were like, "Oh, aye, that's terrible." Like he's all just like, "Aye, same stuff as usual." One of us are so used to it by this point that mm-hmm. we really couldn't give less of a crap. Fair enough. <laughs> in that case, um, let's move on. Um, we're talking today, this is a kind of follow-up podcast to one we put out two weeks ago. Um, mm-hmm. Two weeks ago, we talked about the trans teen experience. And one of the things that came out of that podcast was the role that educators and education facilities could play in supporting mm-hmm. LGBT young people. Um, so what we're going to look at today, dear listeners, we are going to look at some ways that we feel uh, teachers and school providers could um, could be supporting young LGBT people. Um, we're going to look at some stuff that we think they're doing well already and mm. we're also going to look at what places like real-time music and informal education providers can be doing as well as, as schools and other kind of more uh, formal educators are doing. So Let's start with what we think is going well, guys. Let's start with some bright, happy, shiny stuff. Um, what do we think schools particularly and teachers particularly are doing well already? Um, Caitlin, I'm going to come to you on that one first, pal. What do we think they're doing already? In my school, we have an LGBT club on just certain lunch times and stuff, and it's just a safe place that uh, members of the LGBT community can go and sit and talk about things that have happened or just talk about a lot of rubbish. It's just a safe space, right. really. It's just a place you can be yourself. Mm. Cool, that's good. Cool, cool, cool. So thanks for that, Caitlin. Harley, what's one thing schools are doing well already? I don't really have much experience of actually being out at school, um, but about two weeks ago, um, I sent one of my teachers sort of just like a message on one of the homework pages just sort of to say, I'm having a bit of a really rough time. Um, and I just wanted to ask her if she could use like my name or my pronouns and stuff, which are Harley and Shehar. And she was literally so accepting of it. And she just like, it was just the best response I've ever actually had to anything. And she sent me like a page long like reply, um, just sort of saying that she didn't think that that changed, that changed anything and that she was there for me to, to talk to and that I was being responsible and stuff. And it was just brilliant. such a brilliant response that I got. Yeah. So that's and amazing, then, yeah. Isn't it? But that's that's a, you know without making any fuss about it, that's just immediately saying to you, "Cool." And I think we yeah. actually spoke about that in the last podcast that that's what teachers should be doing. They shouldn't be making a big. Nobody's expecting a coming out party. They're just being like, "This is mm-hmm. just my thing now." So that's obviously an example of that happening in the real world, which is a brilliant thing to hear. Phoenix, what's your take on this one? Uh, mine would probably be. Kind of like Caitlin's, like we used to have a room called Active Breaks. It was run by yeah. a youth worker, mm-hmm. and they were always separate from the school, but they were also attached to the school, like just involving us into like different groups and everything. 
And they yeah. always had a room in at lunchtime that we could all just go to, have a wee blather with our mates, have a wee chit chat, play a few yeah. games, watch YouTube, just chill out, really. So, again, a place where you can just be yourself. There's yep. no judgment, there's no pressure to act a certain way or whatever. It's just everybody's here and everybody's enjoying themselves. Mm-hmm. That's good. Margaret, what was your experience like? What did you see done, done well at school? It wasn't something that was ever really particularly addressed at my school. I would say from my school, I don't have many like positive experiences of like this being a thing that was supported. Right. But you do see uh, over like, you know, I mean, across the world, but like in Scotland as well, that there are individual teachers that like no matter what the school, like how the school as a kind of unit treats it, um, there are individual teachers who are kind of taking the young people that are in their care as they are, that are making the effort to kind of like make this experience easier for them, which is a massive help. So what So what we're saying there is then maybe at kind of individual levels, so there'll be certain teachers or certain youth workers or certain wee groups in the school that will be accepting, they'll be positive about it, but there's maybe some work still to be done, obviously. Um, mm-hmm. which I don't think it's a surprise to any of our listeners and certainly no surprise to me, but what I will say, just to kind of bring this wee section to a close, is that nothing that any of you guys have just mentioned happened when I was at school. I think I mentioned in the last podcast, I left school in 2004, so we're talking, you know, 15, 16 years ago, none of this stuff was happening. And and I don't think in any schools, I don't think I'm, I'm, I'd be too challenged by anybody um, by saying that. So this is great news for somebody like me and my generation who can see stuff changing. But what, what can we change next? And again... Caitlin, I'm going to come to you first, pal. What's the what's the one thing you would change about the way schools are dealing with this stuff? Personally, I think that homophobic abuse should be treated the same as somebody being racist to somebody or being sectarian or, or just bullying in general. Like, I'm okay. not saying that, oh, my school does this and this school does this, but like yeah. just in general. Obviously, there's, I mean, if we take it to the kind of higher level, there's legislation in place that makes mm-hmm. that kind of abuse a hate crime. Yeah. But what I'm kind of sensing for your comment there, Caitlin, is that it's maybe no getting treated that way at schools. What would you do to change that? What do you think? You should, what would what would change practically day to day in a school? I don't know. Like maybe if you were caught being homophobic to somebody, it'd be the same exact punishment as what you would get for being right. racist. What 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 kind of punishment gets handed out now if somebody gets caught doing that kind of thing? Absolutely nothing. Um, basically, it's about a slap in the wrist. Like, don't say yeah. that. Okay, so it's not treated with the kind of severity that... No, I've heard people being sectarian be. and they've been getting three-day suspensions, but um, like right. stuff like homophobic stuff, it's just about a slap in the wrist. Right, okay. Cool. Is that something that the, the panel is in general agreement about, that there's not enough kind of regulation oh, yeah. of it in schools? Yeah. yeah. Um, it gets to the point that like, it gets... In my school, particularly, um, it's like you're so used to it and you're so done with it that you just don't even bother with trying to go and report it anymore because it's just you've done it so many times that you're just absolutely sick of hearing it and nothing ever happens so you just don't ever try and go and say oh this person said this to me Mm. and like it's really upset me and like that there's no point doing that because they'll never listen and nothing will ever come out of it so you're feeling a bit defeated then by the sounds yeah 
by the point that has happened so many times over the years that you just get used to it and you just don't really care anymore. Right. Cool. Cheers for cheers for that. The two, uh, uh, Caitlin and Harley. There, that's it's really good insight into what you guys see on a day to day basis, and also the, the kind of injustice and the, the sense of imbalance there that you guys feel. I Phoenix, would what, what what one thing do you think schools could change just now? In my opinion, from my own school, I would say if one of the students is part of the LGBT community, like the teacher can visually see them getting bullied and harassed constantly, then I feel like the teacher has a responsibility in a way, but to take action and just say to the bully, don't mess about. You're absolutely right. And of course, it's, it actually kind of, it wakes me up a wee bit to hear you saying that teachers should be protecting you, because to me, of course they should. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? But obviously, got a duty like, of care. Yeah, absolutely. And obviously, I, your, your, your LGBT status has to be covered by that. I had someone one time, and it, was, it, it happened so many times, but every single time that I walked through the corridors, or like uh, past this one kid, and it, was, it wasn't just this one kid, there was like several of them, but it was always the one kid who did it that got really on my nerves. And like every time I walked by them in the corridors and there was teachers around and stuff, they would always be like, they'd always call me the F star, or they'd always like call me like another homophobic right. name or whatever. Um, right. Literally so many teachers witnessed this. And then one time it happened and I was like the head teacher at the school, like was literally right behind me. And just didn't give an up and didn't give a crap at all. Right. Okay. See, like that's where my yeah. parents coming in because like your your parents are taking you to a school with their trust. They're just basically the teachers are they're basically just trashing their duty to care and provide for the young people. Obviously, there's teachers out there that do feel that duty of care, um, uh-huh. and obviously there's teachers out there that are, you know, establishing these LGBT groups and are, are having conversations like the one Harley's had with, with her teacher. And it's not that we don't want it to come across like all oh, teachers uh-huh. are bad at this. There's some teachers, obviously, that have went and spent time educating themselves, um, yeah. or have maybe had training provided for them by the school. Margaret, I want to bring you in here, pal. What do you think schools could change? I think kind of yeah like more in an individual kind of if you have a young person that is coming to you and talking to you about their experience and i think it connects to the kind of like bullying thing as well like just to listen to them and try as much as possible to kind of like to keep your own preconceived notions of how things are or how things should be like try and keep them aside a bit because these are very real experiences and what you perceive as maybe not being a big deal for like the majority of people can be a massive deal and extremely like devastating to some people like if you want to understand then like you need to listen and it's that whole listening without judgment thing Mm -hmm. that that's just going to make young people feel safe and feel that they can trust you and and, you know, more and more of these conversations, like the one Harley described earlier, can happen. Harley, I think I actually spoke to you the day that email came through. Yeah. And you were desperate to tell me You could about tell it. that. And, was, like, yeah. you were just on cloud nine. Like, I hope your teacher hears this. I hope you'd send them the link to this podcast. I'm going to send them. know how much it meant sure. to you. The day that they said that, like, apart from real time, it was, like, actually like, the first person who'd actually, like, had any sort of like meaningful connection to me for longer than a year 
yeah. like that wasn't under the age of 18 like had actually called me and I was like what's going on here this is amazing yeah. and it was just like such an absolute moment and they, they said like they'd pass it on to like other teachers in the drama department the, one of the other teachers marked the homework that I'd handed in and just left like a little note on the bottom of it just like saying they, they'd marked the entire homework didn't even like mention like the fact that I changed my name which I just put hi Harley thanks for the homework you did really well on it like yeah. didn't even like mention that I changed my name it was just like amazing and I just it was brilliant yeah yeah and that's I mean that's it's really happening to hear that those kind of things are happening So what, what do you guys see as being the role of, not necessarily specifically in real time, but places like real time where young people spend their kind of free time, if you like? Mm-hmm. What, what do you see the role that organisations like us um, having? I think there's more of a tendency for these to be like safe spaces in a sense, because uh-huh. right. with school there is authority and as much as there's like authority with like the, the like, you know, the staff and like, volunteers to an extent there is you know like there's responsibility and stuff like that it's not the same um like in school everyone knows you call the teacher by their second name and that cha- like that's a massive change that's commented yeah. on massively even when you go into college that is just yeah. a massive equalizer yeah. and so i think from a kind of like not psychological because i don't actually know anything about yeah. psychology but um there's this kind of like from both perspectives of the student and the teacher there's a separation do you, know what I mean? you feel like that's lessened by youth groups and that kind mm-hmm. of thing you feel that there's less of a gap yeah and there's obviously like there's a different kind of agenda with school like you're trying to get an education there's like pressure from authorities that are kind of like far beyond the control of any individual teacher like that is there's a very obvious difference between like high school particularly because that's kind of like when young people start questioning the authority of adults but yeah. like that to any other institution i guess like any other uh-huh. kind of educational or like recreational place for young people fair enough caitlin i, I, I want to come to you next pal what, what do you see the role of groups like real time playing and trying to help young people who are in the lgbt community feel safe and feel accepted from experience, I think it's just that you don't really care, like no one in a, a bad way, like oh, mm-hmm. don't right. care about that person, but they just they'll just talk to you or be whoever mm-hmm. they are, regardless of what you identify as or anything. Yeah. Really. Again, going back to Harley's interaction there, it's more about I of course will treat you that I, way I, because it's, it's, and of course uh, we'll call you that yeah. name. No, that's good to hear. No, and like I can only speak for real time because that's where I work, but it's it's definitely something that we strive for, is, is trying to get that across and try to, like, Ryan, or um, the guy that started Real Time, he always says Real Time's pro-people, and to us that's mm-hmm. a big part of that. It's about saying, I will, if you say your name's Harley, then your name's Harley. Do you know what I mean? If you say your name's Phoenix, then I, your name's Phoenix. Who cares? Like, I, why would we dispute that? So, I, Phoenix, what, what do you think on that? Uh, I'm just thinking, like, as Margaret said, it's completely different from high school because to me, like, real time in places like that treat you like an actual adult. Yeah. 
Right. Instead of from a high school perspective, where the teachers kind of see you just as a young child that's yeah. quote unquote confused. Yeah. With real time in places like that, they just kind of just don't judge you at all. Yeah. Well, and that's obviously like again, judgment, no judgment. I know the council have been really good at you know celebrating LGBT people and putting on LGBT proms to uh-huh. create that kind of safe space. Yeah. Um, where there isn't any judgment and people can be completely themselves. Um, so that's good work that they're doing as well. Uh, we're good pals over at CL&D. Um, so that's beautiful. Harley, you, you've no command on this yet, so I want to hear for you about the kind of role you think that groups like Real Time and like youth groups and stuff can play. Youth have played a ridiculous role in like, sort of like <laughs> the last few months, just sort of like helping with everything, like especially during lockdown. These were given one to ones, and at the beginning of lockdown, you were using my dead name, like, right. and you didn't even notice anything was wrong. And then, like, at the end of lockdown, like, kind of like where we are now, even I don't want to say the end of lockdown because it's not, but we kind of are. Yeah. Uh, who knows what's going on anymore? Um, anyway, like, yous now don't care, like, about the fact that, you know, I don't use that name anymore, and you just sort yeah. of, like, you're so chill with it, and like you just sort of you, you you literally just went oh you know one person sent out a text or whatever and said you know this person prefers Harley and she has no lines let's just do that yeah and it's really cool to see and I wish more people were like you and I can't talk on like behalf of like other groups or anything because I don't have any of the other groups but you are amazing well. Obviously, any organisation that's working with vulnerable young people or working with, with, with young people who do have extra kind of things going on in their life, to me, any organisation like that has to be clued up in terms of training, but also in terms of just educating themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, I think it's something we take really seriously, so it's good that it's paying off, Harley. And I really want to thank you for those kind words because it shows us that we're doing the right job um, or doing the job right. And obviously you feel dead safe here, so that's a good thing. We were talking off air about people changing names and changing pronouns and stuff, and obviously that could be quite tricky for for educators to kind of deal with because they might meet you as having one particular name or one particular set of pronouns or whatever, and then when that changes... And I, I'm kind of speaking for myself here in a way that it, it can be difficult to get it into your head that somebody's now a different name or different gender pronouns or whatever. I want to kind of ask you guys as a group, how much kind of leeway are you willing to give people in authority um, for getting that wrong and making wee mistakes? And what, what kind of, is it ever okay for you guys for that to happen? And, and what, what makes it okay if it is? So I'm throwing it out to you, whoever wants to come in on that, go for it. For me personally, it's not really a problem in a way. I've got two different uh, friend groups, shall we say. I've got the friend group that I've had from high school, which knew my dead name, and then the friend group that I've got afterwards, so like real time in college. They often call me by my... The high school friends often call me by my dead name but they often quickly correct themselves. And I just turn around and say to them, look, don't worry about it, it's not a problem. Because I just go to the floor, really. Fair enough. So for you, it's a kind of human error thing when you 
there's not going to be steam coming out your ears if somebody uses your dead name or whatever. It's just like a slip of the tongue kind of thing. Unless you do it intentionally. Well, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a different thing. And obviously, there's maybe a line there between somebody doing it out of maybe habit or, or doing it to deliberately get a rise out of you or to deliberately upset you. Cool. Harley, what's your take on things there? I'm kind of like in the process of coming out. The school and people like that don't really know. Like, there's like a few teachers who do, obviously, because I've talked about them. Yeah. But, like, with school, it's going to be a case of when I get back, uh, you know, with the whole blended learning thing and everything else, I'm yeah. going to have to do that on top of it. And that's going to be a whole other can of worms. Like, I'm trying yeah. not to think about it, but it's okay. going to be a can of worms. But, like, it just seems like, you know, if I did, you know, come out, like, I've got, like, a really good group of friends who would just, like, instantly connect, yeah. like, you know, and it's just, that's going to be really cool to sort of see, mm. you know, like, they, they literally haven't called me my dead name in, what, like, a year, two years? Aye. Like, mm-hmm. which is insane, yeah. and, like, you know, like, now I've just came out to use, like, literally, I don't know, four or five weeks ago. Yeah. And, like, that's pretty short. And the grand scheme of things, but like the fact that they've been calling me that for two years and still haven't, you know, used it once, like they're going to correct them for me. That's kind of cool to think about to me. I'm not going to lie to you when I met you, Harley. I thought that that was just your name in general, to be honest with you. Yeah, a lot of people say that. So, like, that's how, like, I just fully went through it. And that's how I often perceive people if they say to me, I prefer this name. I'm just like, ah, okay, cool. Yeah. So I said, I want to come to the, the other guys in here because obviously, when you've had a transition in your life, when you when you've transitioned in terms of your name or your gender pronouns, there's a there's almost a way to weaponize that. You can get dead named. I mean, there's a name mm. for it. I wonder what you guys um, think about people who are in the other kind of sub categories if you want to call it of the LGBT community is there a way say if you came out as bi or, or lesbian or gay or whatever is there or, or you know all the other kind of sexual orientations within that mm-hmm. um, is there a way that almost you can be dead named I don't know is there an equivalent to that <laughs> I'm not saying there is I'm just wondering if there is K- mm, kind of when uh, I got my hair cut short about maybe and I think it was the end of 2018 I got my hair cut. Right. There was people that knew me, she and her and stuff. I never changed them. I never told anyone I changed them or that. But yeah. I was getting called, like, son and he from, like, dinner ladies and stuff. Which <laughs> I found really... Aww. I found really funny. I was like, eh, okay, no, no problem. That's kind of wholesome, actually. So, do you feel like they were trying so hard to get it right that they got it wrong? Or is that... I, like... The ones that know my family, oh, yeah. like she and whatever, but then the ones that just came in are like, you alright son? Or he <laughs> and I'm like, I never. That's <laughs> kind of awesome. In that moment, I mean, it, it's kind of, it's almost funny because they're trying so hard there and that's a good thing. I mean, that, that kind of gives me hope. What, if anything, got in the way of you correcting them though? I don't know what pronouns I want to use. Right. So I just, so I, as long know. as they're not trying to insult me or calling ah, me mm-hmm. at like something 
that would offend me, then I'm, I'm not really bothered about anybody calls me. Fair enough. Um, I do believe it can burn someone out, though, trying too much. Aye, definitely. Mm-hmm. Aye, aye, definitely. Um, Mags, what's your view on this one? I think it's less of a kind of casual thing, I guess. Like, it's... Dead dead naming someone can be, like, a really big point that's made in conversation, whereas I feel like the thing that I would more kind of associate with the rest of the LGBT community are basically just, like, not acknowledging certain, like, identities' existence. I think by erasure and just, like, delegitimizing, like, ace people and that kind of thing, like, these are more of the kind of ways it's more of a kind of like it would be an intellectual conversation i guess like Mm -hmm. discussing the legitimacy of these identities rather than someone's name which comes up quite a lot do you i mean i think i would agree Mm -hmm. there it is it's it's harder to kind of misidentify somebody by their orientation than it is by something that's personal and is something also something they've chosen themselves like Mm -hmm. a name is something you choose which whereas obviously you're kind of Sexual orientation is something that's just part of you. It's not something you mm-hmm. elect to have. It's just there. Um, Can I just make a point that I just thought of right now? Mm-hmm. Like, obviously you get boys and girls' names, but mm-hmm. why do we always have the access to unisex names? If like, gender is binary, why are there unisex names? Yeah. yeah. Right. That's the question it's, a lot. it's down to language. Um, mm-hmm. It's down to the. I mean, there's practical kind of historical reasons for it. Like some names would have evolved in certain cultures along certain mm-hmm. gender lines, and some mm-hmm. won't have, and some will be. Like for instance, my, my one of my favourite singers of all time, a guy called Kelly Jones, lead singer of Stereophonics, and hey. certainly you know, particularly in Wales and, and other kind of Celtic countries, Kelly as mm-hmm. a as um, a yeah. kind of non-binary name i don't know if that's a unisex name um and there's lots of examples on that there's a tendency of like pre-christian like pre-christian traditions and stuff like that particularly in countries that have been heavily kind of like christianity is very prevalent now um a lot of those cultures didn't have so binary of a gender kind of understanding of gender and also Mm -hmm. didn't the same kind of constructs along with gender it's something that's um especially with like the topic of colonialism and like how history has been recorded and given to us it's something mm-hmm. that's coming up quite a lot um certain native american tribes like they didn't yeah. have any bother <laughs> with gender at all and i think someone had mentioned the philippines as well and so yeah. it's like when you come into like more traditional names, I think that's kind of where that comes from. And there's other cultures as well. I think Egypt mm-hmm. and potentially like either Greece or Rome, I'd imagine, had like kind of places for genders that were not so mm-hmm. kind of fit into the idea of male and female that we've kind of grown up to believe. So it's just a random yeah. thought I came no, into no, my head. Sorry. <laughs> it's a relevant question, Phoenix, and I'm glad you raised it because I think what we're learning at a very high level in culture right now is that gender doesn't really matter. Yeah. Um, and I think you, it doesn't really matter in the sense of having a, a particular gender assigned to you at birth doesn't mean that you're going to keep it. And assigning yourself a certain gender doesn't mean that you can or can't do certain things. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's we're, we're at a point in history where gender's getting deconstructed and, and we're mm-hmm. digging into what it really means and whether it's actually useful. It's what? it's we're kind of coming full circle. Aye. Margaret, you said you had something that you wanted to ask me as a kind of youth worker, so I wonder what that was. Aye, so it was basically like, it could obviously have happened in your personal life, but obviously like... The, as you're saying like the kind of like issue quote-unquote of gender is like coming more into like the mainstream and it's becoming more of a an accepted thing to like you know have a different name to what you were born as and that kind of thing like these yeah. things happen more often yeah. and so as like a youth worker or like uh like an education provider in a sense um like like what was your first experience of a young person kind of asking you to use another name or like different protests um, pro- Aye, so that uh, obviously this is a really personal experience. Um, the first time it happened was at real time. Um, I'm obviously not going to name anybody, but it was for me. It was easy to respect their name and their gender because although I knew their dead name, I had never worked closely with them. And I think that's something as a youth worker or as a teacher or as anything else, anybody else in that kind of position of responsibility and authority. It, learning somebody's names something we put quite a high premium on as as, mm-hmm. as youth workers and I think there is a real connection there. I have had experiences where I've worked with a young person for months and months and then had to learn new names and new pronouns and it's challenging, it's hard mm-hmm. because you rely as a youth worker on habit and instinct a lot of the time because mm-hmm. you've probably like in the terms of teachers they've maybe got a hundred names a year to learn with youth workers I I probably learn the names of about 40 or 50 people a year and I remember them always after the first workshop by the way but um, but people transitioning it's not to say that it's hard on me it's absolutely not Um, but it's tricky it's a thing that catches you out and I think what's, what's been a real kind of blessing um, when I've been doing this kind of work is that people are patient. I have, maybe with the exception of I've managed to stay on course and, and keep everybody's name the way it should be, um, I have dead-named people, which is um, not something I'm proud of um, and was a big learning curve for me. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a big learning curve because I'm like, wow, I just called that person the wrong name. But it almost feels like more than that. This is a silly example, right? But my gran used to call me Stuart. Because my cousin's mm-hmm. called Stuart and he looks like me. Right? Yeah. But that didn't bother me because I didn't choose my name. Do you know what I mean? My name's Craig mm-hmm. because my ma picked it. But like it, I don't, it's not the same thing as calling somebody a different name. It's taking somebody's whole identity and saying, no, I prefer the old one or the dead mm-hmm. one or the whatever. Do you know what I mean? It's a, it's a big deal. The first time I did name somebody, I, was, I felt horrible. And thankfully, it's only happened maybe two or three times where I've misgendered somebody or I've misnamed somebody, deadnamed somebody. And it's something I, I, I'm really making an effort now not to do and it's something that's consciously in my head. Um, because I think, not to go on too much, but when you're a youth worker or you're a teacher or you're somebody who's not a member of somebody's immediate family, mm-hmm. but you still have that kind of almost a parental role in their life, they're trusting you with that information. Do you know what I mean? That person's going, I'm basically putting myself on a plate here you go and it's really 
really important that youth workers and teachers and everybody remembers and, and takes note of that responsibility and, and sees it for what it is. Because it's really as heartbreaking to, to, to call somebody by the wrong name, even if you do it out of habit or accidentally, but it's heartbreaking to do it. I think if you're in the right mindset and you're doing things the right way, it should hurt. Mm. It should be. It should be. There should be a wee bit of. Ah, oh, that didn't sit right with me there when I called that poor person yeah. the wrong name, and and it's something we move on from. We we love, you know, we experience things, and we move on. But I think that's where a lot of teachers and a lot of students are struggling to 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 kind of survive with this. Because teachers are desperately, teachers are under so much pressure to remember mm-hmm. things and remember times and remember who's doing what exam and all that stuff. So I have a limited amount of sympathy with people in education because they have so much to remember and under so much pressure. But to me, there's there's a difference between there being a reason for something and an excuse for something. Mm-hmm. The reason yeah. might be that you've known somebody the same name five years and that suddenly becomes their dead name and you have to make that adjustment. Mm-hmm. And it might be the reason being that you've known them five years might excuse you occasionally going here, thing may and using the wrong name. Yeah. A, you know, five years of habit. Mm-hmm. But the, there's no excuse for that. And you need to take responsibility as an educator to, to correct that and to actively apologize to somebody and not just say, oh, I'll get it right next time and wave it away. You need there needs to be an apology there. There needs to be an acknowledgement that you've done something that's potentially very, very painful for the person you're doing it to. Um, mm-hmm. So that's that's kind of where I sit on it, and um, that's just personally for me. That's not necessarily a reflection of everybody at real time. Although everybody at real time would definitely make every effort to to respect people's names and gender pronouns. Um, so yeah. Um, we're going to finish now, guys. What, what we again we discussed off air about trying to think of some people, whether they're teachers, youth workers, friends, family. Trying to think of two or three people who have really helped us on this journey, because um, we want to finish by acknowledging the people who have made the biggest positive difference to us. So whoever feels like I'm going to do it too. So whoever feels like jumping in there and starting that off. Um. Okay. I'm going to go with the drama teachers, mostly because I've talked about them a few times and they're just amazing. Um, uh, so, yeah, Mrs Bradshaw and Mrs Kelly, two very, very chill, uh, honest people who really couldn't care less. Um, they both said that it didn't change anything about it. It didn't change me. They've always had respect for me. And they just to get that message of support from someone, even during lockdown, which is like a hard time for anyone, like to get that message of support for from anyone is just amazing. But someone that, you know, you didn't really expect to have a reaction to it, um, especially not as positively as that. It was just so nice to see. And yeah, so thanks. <laughs> the English department in my school have been the best people ever. Like, especially Mrs. Folds, the person who set up the LGBT club. She's always been amazing, always supported me if anything has happened. The same way the head of the department, Mrs. Wilson, uh, before she knew that I was gay, she'd take the mic at me and she still does it. Right. Like, the, the new change and what happened. I would probably say two 
youth workers, Connor and Delane. The two of them were the ones that set up the active breaks room in my school and they got me out of a lot of trouble and they helped me just feel comfortable with who, who I am. Yeah. I would also like to say thanks to my best friend that I've known seven years, Spencer. He's a mad person, but he's the bestest friend I've had, and he stuck through me with thick and thin. I would like to thank you. (laughs) 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 Well, it's it's not even like a, oh, we need to thank the... Like, genuinely, like, my, my friend Robin and Craig have been really supportive of me since I came back home and both of them are kind of the people that I will sound bored kind of like what I'm thinking about things in general um and so that's been a massive help in kind of like figuring out who I am and also I want to give a shout out to Sarah Quinn she is a friend of mine um from school and she is a massive activist like she is like of the people my age that I know, like she is an activist, do you know what I mean? And it's like she's been the MSYP for shots and energy for the last like two terms. And she's just like it's so obviously something that she's always gonna like shout about, do you know what I mean? And it's it's just so good to have someone like that. And to like it's an honour to know her, like without being like absolutely soppy. But um yeah, she's just such a, an example for, especially for coming from such like a, a small town. Do you know what I mean? It's it's insane. But yeah, definitely like in real time in general, like we've spoken numerous times about like how you have helped so much just by being chill about it. Do you know what I mean? But yeah, that's that's my piece. Cool. <laughs> um, I went all red now. Yeah. Um... <laughs> Cool. So, yeah, I mean, I, I've got some folks that I want to kind of acknowledge too. And both of them listen to the podcast, which is beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, so the first one being Ashley, who has, like most of you guys were saying, has never seen me for anything but me. Um, Susie, who is listening down in sunny, well, rainy Manchester, um, who has always just had my back. And, um, and also real time. Real time is the only place I've ever worked where I can truly be myself and that goes down to the young people as much as it does the staff. So um, it's nice to work somewhere where I can just be me. And it's a beautiful thing. So we're going to leave it there, guys. Um, as usual, you can find the Real Time Podcast on Apple Podcasts. You can find us on Google and pretty much anywhere else that you can look for podcasts. Um we have some amazing content going up on realtimemusic.net. If you go into the Real Time Online podcast, you'll find all our episodes there. And you'll also find some really cool articles in the Young People blog. Thanks once again for listening. We'll see you in the next one. Bye. <laughs>